0: I do not buy dreams. I sell them. Good evening. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to a new edition of the Flagrant Take Podcast. Absent of my typical co-host, Jim, of course, I'm Fred with you. And today I am honored. I have a a guest much more famous than I. And not only that, uh, somebody that I'm happy to call a friend as well. I'm sure you guys remember the episode I did with Matt Toma, Michael a few weeks ago. Well, somewhat of the same cloth in that I have a history with this individual. I'm honored to have him here. Uh, my guest this evening has been featured on CMT's Next Big Comic, where she was a finalist. She's appeared at San Francisco Sketch Fest, the Lucille Ball Comedy Fest. She has also starred in two Argo One productions, Some of My Best Friends and The First Date. And she also co-wrote and starred in Reservoir Dames, which was an all-female adaptation of the cult classic Reservoir Dogs from 1992. So without further ado, uh, again, honored to have her on. Uh, everybody, please welcome one Kelly Collette. Kelly, how are you?
1: I'm great.
0: Thanks, Fred. Hey, thank you for your time. I greatly appreciate you coming on. Um, again, you know, we go back all the way to junior high. And, you know, I
1: think I remember exactly where you sat in health class, too.
0: Yes. uh, On the days when I wasn't being kicked out or whatever (laughs) other shenanigans I might be in, Um, you know, but but health class in high school of the late great Tom Roble, I absolutely believe remember that. So, you know, somebody I've been able to watch your career unfold from afar, as again, you know, I'm no longer living in the city. But, you know, I can honestly tell you um, when I first got into the you know, podcast industry, if you can call it that um the gumption and the courage to be able to do so and get on the mic absolutely came from me watching everything that you were doing in your stand up career and just kind of having you know a no fear attitude and uh so number one, thank you for that inspiration, but you know I completely want to go through your career, and um you know I mean it's so broad to just say so. Since June fourth, two thousand and fourteen, what have you been up to? <laughs> but um, why don't we start from the beginning? You know what initially, you know, sparked that interest of getting into the entertainment industry.
1: Well, I always like wanted to be the funny kid. Like I always felt very comfortable trying to make my like small group of friends laugh, um, and. I was like obsessed with stand-up and improv and Saturday Night Live when I was a kid. Like I used to watch Gilda Radner live. I'm not sure if you know who Gilda Radner is. I do. She's on uh, I, do. I love Gilda Radner. I used to watch her stand-up special and just like seeing a woman be that funny, uh, you know, and Lucille Ball and, and all these, you know, great female iconic comedic people. Um, it really inspired me. And so um, when I was in college, I worked for this company called Cincinnati Circus, and they trained me how to, like, walk on stilts and make balloon animals and do face painting and palm reading and henna art and all sorts of, like, performance kind of gigs I would do, and I always just really wanted to try stand-up, and I think I tried out in high school, I think I tried out for, like, a musical or a play, but it interfered, like, I played... Played, uh, I was on track team and played soccer, so you could never do theater at the same time as doing sports. Right. So I chose sports over theater, and but I always wanted to try it. So um, yeah, I, I, I graduated from college, and I did my first open mic in May of 2009, and I never quit. I haven't quit yet, so I guess that's how it kind of rolled into that.
0: Well, that's a perfect place for us to kind of continue our story from... You know, can you take me through your your process as you were preparing for your first ever open mic? You know, the any type of intimidation you felt or creative blocks that you might have come across.
1: I think well, you write five minutes for your first open mic, and you're you're lucky to get that. And five minutes, gosh, when you when you don't know if what you're saying is funny or not, is such a long time. It's like the clock just ticking, and I remember. I don't remember the thing specifically that I wrote, but I do remember I had, like, some really hacky Paris Hilton joke
0: mm.
1: about her saying, like, that's hot, um, to, like, a Benny Hana grill or <laughs> <Okay>. something. <laughs> um, but, of course, my friends were there, and after you get that first laugh, like, all your nerves go from straight anxiety to just this adrenaline rush, and so... You know, it's like five minutes of stage time. I think I blacked out for most of it. But when I got off, a lot of the comics were like, you know, that was great for your first time. That was really good. That was really good. You should come back. You should you should keep doing this. And I think that that really helped push me is, you know, kind of people throwing their arms around me saying, hey, come back next time, kid. Like, still work on your jokes and, you yeah. know, give it another shot.
0: Okay. Now, watching your, you know, your stand-up and, and trying to get a feel, because I feel like comedians, I mean – The term, you understand the objective, which is to make the audience laugh, but I feel like there's so many different ways you can go about getting the audience to that point of laughter, right? You know, you can have, you know, be quick-witted and have the one-liners. You can have the jokes that tell a story. How did you find what your comedic voice was going to be?
1: Oh, gosh. You know, and that takes so long because you become so many people when you start off. I mean, I think starting off I was like super self-deprecating and I think I had to be like a little bit more dirty or raunchy, like shock comedy, just because I didn't know how else to be funny. Like I wasn't as clever. And I think that's a a mistake a lot of comedians starting off with do. They just, you know, know, go with the first dick joke that they can think of. Right. You know, they know that easy things like that will get a laugh. Um. But eventually, you you get bored with that stuff. I mean, I I want to say smart things. Um, I wanna. I was listening to um, a podcast recently about a French comedian who wanted to take on New York, and he found the language barrier was really hard. About what people thought was funny in France, according, and then what people thought was funny in New York. And, and basically, they interviewed a bunch of comedians, and they said, "We want to know what's important to you. Like, we want you to talk about." what you think is important, and that really stuck with me, so I've been changing my writing a lot to talk about what I think is important, because it's, I think if you can be funny but also deliver a message, it's that much more exciting for you as a comedian, and not just going up there spouting off the same jokes that really don't matter.
0: (laughs) I understand. So, you know, as you continue to journey on in your career and grow in your confidence and you know, do you start viewing your everyday life differently when you start thinking about what I could take from my everyday life and maybe embellish, maybe even not? And and does it feel like you're always in that creative, you know, mental, you know, process or mind state?
1: No, I wish it was like that. I wish that something happened and I think, oh, I should write a bit about that. You know, I think, I think with time... You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and then you get the introspection of, oh, that was that that can be a joke now. I think when you're living things, it's a little harder to see the irony in it. Um, I find that I write more when I'm about to go to sleep, or like when I'm in the shower, or on a lot like a really long car ride, and my mind's just drifting. Those are when I write the jokes that okay. I really like.
0: <laughs> Is when I'm
1: not thinking too much about it.
0: Got you. So. We have our first open mic night. From there, did you continue to do more open mic nights and you would grow in the time that you were allotted on stage?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it took about a year and a half to get my first paid work at the club. And, um, I mean, some places it's even longer. and some places it's shorter. Um, it just really depends on, like, kind of what your comedy scene is like. If you go to a different city, every scene is going to be different. Um so yeah. Um
0: What was your gosh, first traveling gig?
1: My first traveling gig, God, I don't even remember. Um, you know, you start off and you do these really sh- shitty bar shows is what <laughs> 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 what it comes down to. I mean uh, the I mean, I'm not trying to rap or anything, but like started from the bottom now we're <laughs> here. Like it's it's such that kind of journey. Like you really have to work your way through some really bad rooms, some, some, you know, the back room of a restaurant that they just put like a sound system and a microphone and people are watching TV. And they're not even listening to you to college shows where they book you, but they also book you on a holiday weekend. So there's like five kids in the audience to show up. Um, mm. You know, you travel a lot out of town to do other people's open mics cause you want to, you want to get that reputation in other cities too. So, I mean, traveling throughout, northern Kentucky, uh, Cincinnati, Columbus, Indianapolis. It's really great to live in the Midwest and do comedy because there's so many great clubs within driving distance. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's one thing the Midwest has over New York or L.A. is that we have all the clubs in the Midwest. I mean, there's a couple in California. There's a lot in New York City. But if you go along the coast or kind of in the middle of, you know, there's – There's not really much there, so um, in terms of paid work, we have a lot of clubs nearby. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's all good. Listen, you can continue to rap. I was
1: like, oh, talk about that, and I was completely just lost
0: it. No, it's all good. Listen, we can... my
1: mind works right now. I'm just like, there was something else I think I had to say there,
0: but I can't even think of it. No worries, and please, you you are always welcome to rap on this platform. When I think Drake (laughs) naturally, I think Kelly next, so it's all good. You guys are both in my top five, so it's all good. Um, (laughs) So, you know, as you continue to foray into your, you know, your comedic career, how did we now begin the process of, you know, CMT's next big comic?
1: Oh, that was great. Um, There's this really great... um I don't even know what I would call them, like a liaison maybe. It's called Rooftop Comedy. And Rooftop Comedy will set up cameras in a lot of the comedy clubs, and they'll tape you at open mics. And it'll stream to their website so people can go on Rooftop Comedy and see your clips. And I guess they just pulled uh, either CMT or Rooftop, pulled a bunch of comedians that they thought would be good for the competition. And and I was one of them. And it was um, when I was starting off really young, so it was like really my first big credit. And, uh, yeah, that was a really great one to just be in, you know, this comedy competition with, you know, really great comedians. Um, Shane Moss was in it when I was doing it. Um, I think Adam Norwest won it. So they had a lot of really great people. And, yeah, that was my first big credit. So after that, I had something to put on a piece of paper. So when I applied for comedy festivals or, you know, applied at clubs, they said, w- w- give me some credits. That was my first major one.
0: So, was this before or after your appearance on Bridezilla? Oh, my God! (laughs) (laughs) I left that out of the intro, but I had to at least touch on it briefly.
1: Oh, my God. First of all, not a lot of people know about that. I even forget about that sometimes. Um, Yeah, this was all after, I think. Yeah. Um, I am on Netflix. I think I've seen it once. I was not the bride, for anybody listening. I was one of the poor, innocent bridesmaids that got yelled at. And the producers picked um, me as the interrogator, because you know reality TV is all fake.
0: Well, don't um, don't crush dreams like that, Kelly. Whoa. I mean,
1: it's, okay, produced. There we go. Some of it's real. I mean, they didn't put words in my mouth, but they did say, hey, can you do an impression of the bride? Can you look a little meaner? You know, you were just kind of <laughs> poking, poking at you, trying to see what they can get out of you, so...
0: Okay. Yeah. Well I don't I don't I, I don't, that I don't show wanna show to laugh too hard and the and I of course will never mention any names of somebody I'm familiar with as well and I would imagine <laughs> are you guys still friends, right?
1: No, I haven't talked to her in such a long time.
0: Okay. Alright, well Yeah, we can-
1: I mean like I don't have any hard feelings, but I think like It didn't work out for her, and I don't know if she's embarrassed by the whole situation, but, yeah, I mean, nothing on my end. I never, like, cut her off after that. Like, I'm so embarrassed you made me cry on national TV. I was mainly like, oh, man, I'm an ugly crier.
0: Oh, that's right, because as you said, and this is not on your IMDb, as I checked, I actually had to go (laughs) back into the archives of One Kelly Clint. You were officially crying bridesmaid number one, as you... Um, was I yeah. number
1: one? Because I am. I mean, I try and be number one in everything I do. So I was crying really hard.
0: You got it. You got it. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> I you forgot got it.
1: about that. Oh my god, Fred. <laughs> I forgot about that.
0: <laughs> it's cool. Don't worry about it. Wait till you see if I'm able to locate a old picture you and I um, that I'm hoping to make the artwork for this episode. Um, uh, I, I
1: w- feel like we have. I feel like there's a picture of. I mean, I wore the most hideous belt spoon we to school together. Like I always try to be like a unique belt girl, and I'm pretty sure I have a picture of you where I'm wearing like. A hat with kitty cat ears and like a cheetah print belt, like some—I don't know what I was trying to do.
0: Listen, I was a fat kid, so I'm just like, hey, don't look at me, look at the skinny, attractive girl next to me. That was kind of my whole uh, gaze in that picture, so it's all good. Um, oh, in if regards, I find that one, I'm going to send it to you because I think it's pretty funny. Yeah, I have the picture of us at our senior senior dance uh, early oh, mid May. Yes, when we're like tropical, right? Yes, that is it. Yes. Oh crap, you I love remember. That. All right. Well, anyway, 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 my bad. As I go on a tangent, and fans are like, "What?" Um, in regards to you know, developing a relationship with Argo One Productions because seeing your films, uh, The First Date, and some of my best friends to me was it was it was my first time seeing you on camera saying, "That's my friend."
1: <laughs> yeah, those are really great um, films. Argo One, they have such really good you know, such really good, they have such good scripts, and everything's shot, like, we find a location, we find props, like, I do my own costuming, they just tell me what they want the character to look like, like, Jill, the character for the first day. they're like, we wanted her to be kind of unhinged, like, kind of a weirdo, and I was like, I'm totally cool with that, like, so I wore this really, like, old gray grandma's sweater, and, like, did my hair in a bun, like, I didn't care about looking attractive or anything, I just wanted to kind of be a little crazy so i really liked it i really like the characters they developed they're really
0: funny i love the personality that you take because it's elements of your personality maybe even exaggerated or embellished but it still has a natural feel as somebody watching it um is that something you actually try to portray or do you just try to make yourself as comfortable as possible in front of the camera and just kind of improv
1: Yeah, I don't know how good I am about acting like other people, so I think it's elements of myself, and a lot of those lines I improv, too. Like, um, they will let me go and throw a few lines out there, or a few expressions, or, hey, try it any way you want, and sometimes I'll end up going with what I pick, which is great. They give me that kind of creative freedom to say... How do I think this character is going to act? And is there any other funny lines that I think would be good?
0: Okay. Now, you know, something that I saw, I guess this was early 2016, maybe slightly before the calendar had turned, but I remember you putting on Facebook saying, would anybody be interested in seeing an all-female version of Reservoir Dogs? And I remember seeing it and like, yo, that would be dope. And I was like, please, I hope she needs like a black janitor, but I guess it would have to be a female. So I can't even say like, yo, pick me. Um, how did the writing process go, you know, in regards to you as well as your co-writer, um, last name Fall, uh, Celeste, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Celeste Fall. Celeste Fall. As you guys went through the process of, of putting together this play, if you don't mind taking me through that.
1: Yeah, so we wanted to make sure it was parody, so it stuck with parody laws, because obviously like we can't rip off Quentin Tarantino's work, um, even though I was contacted by his lawyer later i was about to um, say he'll
0: sue you he strikes me as a yeah, guy who yeah, will sue yes
1: yeah. so uh luckily I-, I feel comfortable enough that we changed enough for it to be parody so to be parody you have to kind of make a social commentary as well as change a lot um of the script and of course make fun so um we went through and we really picked a couple elements and a, a couple key Scenes that we really liked. Um, The diner scene at Reservoir Dogs, Mm -hmm. um, where they talk about Madonna.
0: Yes. (laughs) You know, they talk about
1: Madonna a lot in her videos and sexuality and stuff. And we kind of flipped that. We talked about Robin Thicke and his uh, music video for Blurred Lines (laughs) and rape culture and, Mm -hmm. you know, feminism. And so that was our diner scene. Um, Mm -hmm. We also had a great introduction where we talk about why making an all female reservoir dogs is important. Um we changed a lot of the mono, the the dialogues and made them into monologues. Um you know there's only one woman in Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. so we had that one woman part be a man which was hilarious. Um <laughs> as the waitress, right. he was very funny. He got a lot of um, Laughs. So, yeah, we just kind of went through and said, what kind of social commentary and how can we make this all male dominated movie feminine, Mm -hmm. but still make it tough and these women be badass and be criminals.
0: Now, were there any type of detractors? I felt like this was also coming along at the same time as we had the all female adaptation of Ghostbusters as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh
1: my gosh, yes, and I got so much, some people like the guys in my stand-up comedy group on Facebook were just, like, all-male all, all version of Clueless. Like, they just all started posting <laughs> things, and I'm not sure if they were, like, either making fun of me or what they were doing, but I'm just like, like all right, guys, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, it came along. I think I did it before that, I think.
0: Okay. My timeline's
1: all screwed up. But, it's just, it's yeah, I weird. was... I was I love that all-female Ghostbusters, and I just love... Because, you know, the Dell test... Which we talked about in Reservoir Games. Um, there's not a lot of parts for women to be badass. We're usually the wife or the girlfriend or the one they're pining after, or you know, the smart but sexy scientist that has an antidote. But you know, you gotta fall in love with her, and mm-hmm. you know, there's it, unless you like think about Katniss, you know, who even has two love interests, or you know, like right. there's not really a movie like about women being badasses like that. So, I mean, I'm glad it's
0: kind of coming around. It's weird because you don't. Um, When I think about it, off the top of my head, I think of like Mila Djokovic in the Resident Evil series, right? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, uh, Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez did a B-movie, almost uh, sexploitation flick, where it was like a double side, and then one Rose McGowan was the badass in that. And, you know, as you kind of go through it again, it's kind of that same thread of like The Hunger Games, where... You know, the heroine, of course, is a female lead, but it's kind of done in concert with the male counterpart. Um, yeah. And, and so, I, you know, I thought that was so cool that you guys were able to do that. Now, do you have any other passion projects or things that you're kind of tossing around at this point in time that you would like to, you know, that you're <laughs> yeah, able to I'm, talk about?
1: Maybe this will hold me accountable, too. Um, so I'm currently writing a script for uh, another play. It's called Bloody Mary. And I'm really inspired by the movie Jennifer's Body. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Oh, I've seen it.
0: Yes, I have okay. Amanda Sidfried so, and uh, Megan yeah. Fox.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah and um, I love the dialogue that um, she she created and I love that it's horror comedy, which is I think it's a genre that like barely exists outside of you know that movie and maybe a few other spatterings, but like I love the idea of like, That movie scared me, but it also made me laugh so hard. And movies are usually one or the other. Um, They actually were able to combine that. So I'm working on a play right now. It's like a mix of, you know, it's in the vein of Jennifer's body, but like it's a mix of the craft and Encino Man. It's, it's, It's girls who invoke Bloody Mary to come out of the mirror, and then they don't know what to do with her, so they have to take her to school. (laughs) you know and she's you know eventually gonna win prom queen all these things so um yeah hopefully it's gonna be funny and then i have some elements where bloody mary kind of gets a little scary kind of like jennifer and um yeah it's gonna be kind of like you know encino man or um gosh um the hot chick where you know people aren't like why isn't anybody realizing this person isn't who they are you know right how How is everybody going around not realizing this is a demon inside their school? So it's going to be one of those kind of like cliche ones. I also thought about writing a, um, and I don't know if I'll do this, but like a sequel to The Breakfast Club really called you called you forgot about me (laughs) okay (laughs) because you know the song in the
0: end don't yes don't you oh trust Um, me i know you You can go ahead and sing it i could i can hear it in your voice you're like i I feel like i need to sing this to spark that memory don't
1: you you yeah throw my fist in the air but i thought it'd be really fun to kind of um write about what would it be like you know 10 years down the road when they come back for their high school reunion do they talk like, what, what are the relationships of the, these people who started this breakfast club? Did it fade out afterwards? Did, did some of them keep up friends? Are they dating each other? Are they married to other people? Um, so, that's, that's another idea that I had. So, I need to
0: kind of... No black people in that one. Hey, let me know if you want to do an adaptation, <laughs> you know, like Save the Last Dance or something like that. You know, just let me know. I get myself in shape for it.
1: No, I uh, my one of my one of my great friends Brian Millian just did an, um, just did a um, uh, adaptation of I don't know how much of an adaptation it was. It might have even been um, true to the script, but it's Twelve Angry Men, but it's all black men. And I want to see him in this so bad because it just looks so good, and they've been working so hard on it. And I just love how we can kind of take these works of art and kind of say, how can we tell this story but from a different perspective. Mm -hmm.
0: the process of script writing you know how much time are you dedicating to it i mean it always seems like something that's timely and it comes across as a you know and an intimidating undertaking
1: i want to i want to be able to produce this by halloween because i think that would be the perfect setting to do bloody mary and so i'm very much slacking right now but i've written uh, four scenes, four or five scenes already and basically my process is I send them to a couple of my friends and I ask for feedback. Is this funny? are you get where the story is going? you know are these characters believable? What do you think their motivation is? Do you have any feedback and based on if they're like this is this is gonna be good or hey, I really think you need to rethink this character um, I'll take that into account
0: okay see work with it because i'm still toying the you know toying around with the two romantic comedy ideas that i've had rom-coms because it always sounds uh-huh. good to sit in starbucks and say yeah you know i'm actually working on a rom-com um i have one that set. all right tell me what you think all right okay. I'm, I'm, I'm about to be that friend right now tell me what <laughs> you think um all right so it's set in portland oregon because i think the city's dope never been there only seen it on tv um And we work at a marketing agency. It was between law firm or marketing agency. But I was like, I can't pull off a lawyer. Um, But I'm not the lead. I'm like the best friend, witty best friend on the side who ends up, you know, eventually, you know, conquering his love interest. That's in the office. But it starts off with a real snarky relationship. The male lead, which can tell you how long I've been thinking about this. I was thinking John Mayer. But see, this was before <laughs> Taylor Swift completely killed his reputation. And then I was like, damn, I don't think I can sell John Mayer to the masses. So, you know, I'm still at square one and have been for the past six years. But, you know, I figured, you know, just off the top of your head, you know, maybe we'll have to rap about that a little bit more. Um, and then the other one, I, my you goal, sound, yeah. my my ultimate okay. goal is to do a zombie movie. Like, that's my genre. Like, I love zombie movies. You I know, love zombie movies. See, I can do zombie movies. I can't do paranormal activity because that's going to have me leaving my whole family behind in the house. If (laughs) things start going sideways, like my part would be all of five minutes. But um, I want to do a zombie movie, which, you know, zombie movies can come from the standpoint where you're intentionally funny, like Shaun of the Dead, where it doesn't take itself too seriously, which is why Uh I think it worked. Um, To me, the golden standard is Zombieland. Or some of these horrible zombie movies I've seen on Sci Fi Network. And I think they're trying to be serious, but it comes off as unintentionally funny.
1: Well, the best zombie movie of all time is the original Night of Living Dead. So if you've not seen that, you need to see that.
0: True, I have. I I just hated the the ending. And, you know, for those who have seen it, you know, the brother dies. Mm -hmm. But at least we got an hour and a half in. So that was cool.
1: yeah, but, like, it's just so bad at the end. I'm like, no, he made it through all of that. I could not believe it. But the whole, Bob, oh, bro, they're coming from you. Um, I think anybody listening to this right now is probably like, I, I have an idea for a movie, too. But, like, you just got to get to it before someone else does. I remember the first script I ever wrote was for a movie about behind the scenes at The Bachelor or a reality show or some kind of reality dating show. And I had all these characters formed, and then I heard they were doing this behind the rose you know, parody that I'm like, Oh, that's it. They already wrote it. The next thing I wrote was about a camp, a family owned camp, very dysfunctional family. They own a camp every, every week they'd have new campers coming in. So the scenarios would change and boom, two camp TV shows came out, you know, pilots that year. So, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to like. you got to turn these out to be relevant. Cause someone else is always coming up with kind of a similar idea
0: i mean hell we could have just had a show we could have did this is us before this is us (laughs) your family could have adopted me you (laughs) could be a twin you know what i mean and then it it doom and now i'm crying every week on tuesdays because the show is that damn well written but also because we just missed an opportunity
1: right and mandy moore of course she's gonna sing in every movie or tv show she's in and she's so good. She They're all is. so good. I love that show. Yes. I could I could talk about TV all day.
0: I, feel I was like about I to say, much yeah, much I time. mean, at this point, it's like, why, listen, let's just talk. I mean, again, folks, this is Friends Catching Up, and you guys mm-hmm. are just having the opportunity to, you know, be a, a, a fly on the wall as we do so, but um, in regards to, you know, everything that you've encountered, you know, we definitely talked about a lot of highlights and different, you know, peaks that you were able to explore, but... I also know that you deal with some pretty creepy slash shady individuals. Where you know, let's be honest, um, a you know, female in you know, in comedy. No offense to your husband, attractive. So, you know, tell me about some of the encounters in which you've had when dealing with individuals who run these clubs or managers.
1: I mean, I feel like it's everything you probably (laughs) to be expected. Anybody listening right now, like. You know, probably everything I've already encountered. I've, uh, God, I've been told, you know, hey, we need a girl for the show, so we're asking you. I mean, that's when you first start out, and then you don't take offense to that, because you're like, oh, I get to be on a show, and then you're like, oh, you just need a girl, okay. Um, Booker's saying inappropriate things to me, um, you know, saying that you can stay at their house Mm. if you travel out of town. Um, one guy tried to like bench press me they thought that was funny um god I mean, comedians sometimes will talk I, I i'm i'm all for freedom of speech or you guys being one of the guys but kind of locker room talk in the green room just kind of like not really caring that i was there just really dirty things
0: oh um, you know that grabbed them know, by it, the pussy talk but apparently it yeah. works so i'm just saying
1: um i think you saw that post i did about a, a guy who asked me to do a show and, uh, you know, he told me I needed to come to the club and meet him, even though he had seen me on stage, said I was hilarious, really wanted me on his show. He, he said, you need to come to the club to meet me so we can talk about the show. I said, you can give me a call. You can give me the details over email. He said, you need to come meet me. And when I said no, he said, well, obviously, you're not a serious comedian. And I've been advised to go in a different direction. So, I see that. bye. I'm like, and bye. Yeah. Sorry, not coming. <laughs> you know, you just kind of got to know your worth after a while and know, like, I don't have to jump through hoops for this. Like, treat me like you would treat another person. So, yeah, it's a long road. I, I That's why I kind of like, t- you know, I try and look out for the girls who are just starting out and and make sure they're getting on good shows and getting good stage time and getting, you know, kind of looking out for them, giving them advice and making sure uh, they're taken care of because it's, it's, it's long and it's like... It's such a boys' club, and um, but luckily I've worked with some really great, great bookers. Um, the guy from the Comedy Attic, which is like one of the best clubs in the country. I mean, he just—he's so um, supportive of female comedians, and he just. He's just a great person, so like for every bad experience I've had, I've had a really great experience.
0: That's awesome. And that's what I loved about watching, you know, your Argo One productions because I felt like, you know, a lot of perceptions from the outside looking in of the entertainment industry is that, you know, I don't like to use the term caddy, but it could become, you know, clicky, it could be, you know, a situation where it feels like, you know, it's it's a lot of backbiting and backstabbing in regards to that. But you guys seem to have a nice rapport with one another where it seems to be this genuine support. Um, what would you say is, is it, is that the majority that you've encountered?
1: Yeah, there's definitely a camaraderie there. I mean, when you're working together on a project, like for Argo one or for like a film, um, Michael Peake, who, who was in both of those with me, um, you know, I asked him to come do a script reading that I was doing at a local bar. Um, we did a a live reading of the new Harry Potter book, (laughs) which was really fun Mm. and, um, I said, will you play a part? And he said, yes. And he came and read. And so, like, we got a lot of camaraderie. We'll suggest each other for parts. It's when you're competing for a spot, um, say, at a comedy club or, um, you know, and you're just starting out. And you you know, you want to be there for your friends, but at the same time, there's only three comedians who are going to work weekend, and you want one of those spots. So there is a lot of competition there. There's a lot of politicalness of, well, this person started after I did, but they got work before I did. And, you know, this clickiness. And cattiness when it goes along with that too so there's a little bit of both you just gotta kind of. for me i'm I'm kind of like trying to i i don't really get into that anymore I, not as much as i used to so I'm just trying to stay away from it no more drama i understand
0: <laughs> i understand so okay i think well i won't even speak for a lot of other people but for myself um i feel like the nightmare i would have would be being on stage public speaking which of course is a like number one fear of everybody right but not only that, but you're in the you know the role of having to entertain people and take me through the process if you've experienced this of telling a joke and it doesn't go over, and then the next one doesn't go over. Like, what then becomes your your process mentally as oh you gosh. go through that?
1: Well, I've only bombed, I think I've bombed like a couple times, and I'm, it's either when I'm starting to tell a new joke I'm not comfortable with, and I don't commit to it. Or I just completely read the audience wrong, um, and sometimes just throwing your hands up and being like, "Wow, you guys hate me!" That'll get a big laugh, <laughs> and then I can just <laughs> completely change. Towards and go, all right. I'm just gonna do a couple more. I'm gonna I'm gonna get over to this section now and, and try try this kind of stuff. Um, but adaptation. I mean, you have to be able to do that. When I got when I got asked to do Cincy Storytellers, which is a, a storytelling show for the Cincinnati Inquirer, it was a pretty big deal because they only picked. A couple people from all walks of life. I mean, we had a paleontologist, we had a music producer, we had a doctor, and they all wanted us to talk about our biggest mistake. And you know, I had to go from being something that I'm comfortable with, which is public speaking, public speaking, and being kind of funny, to wow, I have to talk about something that's really real. Can I make that funny and serious at the same time? And, and that was a big um, turning point for me to kind of kind of see if I could face that fear when you talk about, you know, people have fear of public speaking. I never knew fear of public speaking until I had to talk about something that actually mattered and was, like, personal to me.
0: Mm.
1: So that was really nerve-wracking.
0: Okay. And your biggest mistake or greatest mistake was?
1: Oh, not being myself. Gotcha. I know. You knew me in high school, but... I talked a lot about how, like, girls would call me fake, and I was like, oh, it's because I was totally fake, because I didn't know who I was. <laughs>
0: Got you. You
1: know, I was trying to be all these things to all people, and um, didn't really know who I was as a person, so that was probably my biggest mistake, is, like, not being super genuine to myself, which, luckily you've known me. Through middle school and high school, so you probably knew the real me more than most people.
0: Before prison, after prison, same (laughs) Kelly Collette.
1: Before I got all those
0: tattoos on my face. Yeah, yeah. You know, the new 21 Savage one between your eyebrows, everything. Like, I I knew you throughout all of it, so it's all Uh good. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, as I, you know, I did have a question. You know, I I woke up this morning knowing we were going to do this interview, and I was like, you know... What's something I've always wanted to ask Kelly that I haven't in all the time we've known each other? And so check it out. I finally, it hit me. It hit me today like around lunchtime. Um, I'm scared. Late May, no, late April, 2004, high school prom, Paul Brown Stadium. It's going down. Um, How was it? Was it going down? I I, I, I didn't go. (laughs) So my question was, how was the high school prom? (laughs) I never went.
1: 2004, <sighs> Paul Brown. No, we had Paul Brown Stadium two times at our prom, so I was like, can we get a second location? No, we just got to keep it here? No. I don't know. I never had fun at school dances. I was the girl who was always crying at, like, every school dance. And I don't know what it is about school dances that all the drama came up for me. I think that was the actual first one I never cried at. Yeah, I think it was fun. It was. It's really fun to, like, just kind of realize you're moving on and just like let a bunch of stress go and just be like, ah, you know, some of these people I see and I'm really going to miss and some of them I will all never see again. So that's really fun. But God, like all high school proms of the two thousands, man, they were the worst prom dresses of all time. I mean, we all had like a two piece prom dress you know, and none of us had abs. Absolutely
0: not.
1: <laughs> and uh, so much sparkle. And every girl had the t- – every white girl, we all had twisties in our hair. You know?
0: I was pictured – I, I pictured that as the fashion. and It was. There was a lot <laughs> of Nelly. Lives, yeah. I feel like there was a lot of Nelly being played. <laughs> so much Nelly.
1: <laughs> no it was like It was like Nelly – like batter up we had. We had – gosh – uh, it was hot
0: in here there was definitely there was, was so
1: much yeah uh who else god and then there was a mix of country i don't know what it was with our high school and country music but like i despise country music when i went to high school just because everybody loved it so much i'm like oh i can't stand it
0: because <laughs> you're winning you was at heart don't. that's why, why? yeah
1: that's why wait why didn't you go to prom
0: um, well, you know, revisiting the fact that I was a fat kid in high school, I, um, you know, my mom like went through the process of like getting me a tux and everything. i was like, mom, I'm not going. And she's like, no, 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 it's fine. We'll just get it. And if you want to, you can go, you cannot go. And unfortunately, like at that time, we lived in the neighborhood of my high school. And I got to see, like, look out the window and see classmates like standing in their driveways, taking pictures, and you know, getting oh my ready God, to go. It
1: breaks my heart. It like. was,
0: listen, it was cool. I found porn, and so needless <laughs> to say, my mom caught me. But you know, in regards okay. to that oh time, you Where know, are you gonna go out? Oh God! Yeah, exactly. It was mama. No, um, it was. You know, what can I say, man? It was high school, man. It was high school. Mm -hmm. Now, we should do like a, you know, Can't Hardly Wait or something like that or a remake of that from back in the days or, you know. I guess I could show up to one of our high school reunions one of these years.
1: I've never gone to any of them either. I think like last year they tried to plan one and they were like, there were like two groups of planners on Facebook.
0: I was on your group.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I just feel like they like, like, I think that, like, I don't know for some reason one of them got planned and then the other one didn't or like and no one ended up going to the second one i'm not sure what happened but
0: well we got what two years before we actually hit our 15th so you know oh my god
1: that's scary
0: yeah so i mean i'm just saying just saying and um again i'll be on your thread so don't let me down goose (laughs) so you know at this point in time you know uh again i can't Thank you enough in regards to taking the time out to to come on and us get an opportunity to catch up. But more importantly, like I said, I wanted to thank you um, because when it's me just getting on a microphone and talking to an anonymous audience, to me, it's nerve wracking. But, you know, fortunately, I've been able to, you know, almost use you as a muse of sorts and know that, you know, you could be fearless Behind the microphone, whether on stage, off stage, behind a laptop, regardless of what it may be, and so you know, again, I just continue to wish you more success. Just know, whenever you have a project, you always have a home here. If you ever just want to stop by or come on, chop it up, even just for a few moments, I'd love to. You know,
1: that's, you- a, that's so sweet of you to say. Sometimes you know, you you feel like you're doing all these things, and you're like, what's the point? What's it for? And sometimes you'll get like a really nice message. Or or something like you just said, just to say, hey, no, I, I'm out there. See, I see what you're doing. Oh, for I sure, I see you. You're doing it, and uh, keep going. You know, that's it's so nice to hear.
0: Absolutely, like I said, to have people on here, you, Matt, as my first, you know, official guest. Um, it's not that you guys are just friends of mine and longstanding friends of mine, but you guys are also uh, peers that I admire, and so you know, I, I continue to be, you know, happy and. Uh, seeing you guys have that continued success but also inspired again so you know Kels, what's the best way in which people can reach you via social media
1: yeah um i'm on twitter kelly collette um i recently um am getting yelled at by a lot of people for things i tweet so that's that's a new fun thing um (laughs) instagram is my jam kelly collette kelly collette's my name on basically everything but Twitter's is probably where you want to reach me because if you try and Facebook friend me and I don't know you, I don't accept. <laughs> I had to learn that. Uh, send me your screenplay, Fred Kelly Colette Comedy at AOL Don't laugh at me because I have an AOL email address. I did not. The email. <laughs> We're all switching over, and everybody thinks it's so funny that I have it, and I honestly don't even get the joke because I'm just like, what? I just had it forever. Was I supposed to change my email address? I don't know.
0: It's all good. I live in the South and I've kept my Cincinnati number. So whenever people, you know, ask for my number down here, it's like 919. It's like, no, it's 513. I'll never (laughs) change.
1: I bet you're going to tell me you kept your Cincinnati Bell email address.
0: Yeah, I'm sure I still have it. I'm sure, you know, I have everything Cincinnati. I have my Skyline T-shirt. I have my Graders baseball cap. It's all good. My UDF, you know, underwear. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) But Kels, it was so good to catch up with you. Um... Again, continued success, guys, ladies, everybody. Please go check her out um, and and do the research. Go back and see all the YouTube videos that no, Kelly don't hates. See the YouTube
1: videos. <laughs> Those aren't great.
0: Um, but again, but
1: trust me. Just come to her show sometime.
0: Definitely. Do you have any appearances lined up as we speak?
1: Um. Well, I'm, I. Uh, I tour sometimes with the nobodies of comedy and they've taken me from anywhere from like Oklahoma, New York, Pennsylvania. They got a bunch of clubs that they, and theaters that they tour people with. So I probably will, um, be in one of those again. And then, oh yeah, just clubs. I usually put on my Twitter when I'm going to be at a club. So check on that. And, um, yeah, um, comedy festivals. Sometimes I apply, sometimes I don't, but, um, yeah, if anybody just, yeah.
0: Just let Get me know. Get touch. If you yeah. need
1: something, I'll, I'll read your screenplays. All your romantic comedies. I'll read them all.
0: Please I'll do, and and let <laughs> me know when you want to hire me to be a part of your entourage or security or anything like Absolutely, that.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And, um, on your on your on your one year anniversary of us working together, I'm going to throw a prom.
0: Just for you. <laughs> You're so sweet. Awesome, Kels. Well, guys, again, thank you for tuning in to the Flagrant Take. Don't forget the episode I dropped yesterday with Jimbo as we discuss post-trade line deals. And again, please enjoy these exclusives that I have with you as well. There's going to be more to come. And uh, again, don't forget to check out Kelly Colette. You guys, take care. Be good to each other. Peace. I do not bad dreams. I sell. Them.